0: Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. What's up, guys? I'm really excited for part one of this two-part episode with the man whose speech to the Oxford Union Society went absolutely viral they got somewhere between a hundred million and 200 million views across the internet it's been absolutely insane constantin for those who don't know is a comedian social commentator and podcast host of the show Trigonometry, which celebrates freedom of speech his show includes interviews with bill maher ben shapiro and conversations around woke culture war and highly sensitive political topics that most people avoid, uh, but he and his partner have really leaned in and created a really, really thoughtful show. In this episode, we talk about how toxic our culture has actually become. Constantin reveals how today's culture is actually incentivizing people to play the victim over playing problem solver, we talk about what weaponized empathy looks like and how adopted victimhood mentality is actually destroying younger people. And we talk about why every generation has to fight for free speech. I really enjoyed my time with Constantin, and I think you guys will as well. I'm excited for you guys to get into this. And if you want more conversations like this, hang tight. This is a two-part episode. And to make sure that you don't miss the next episode, be sure you're following us, so you'll be the first to know when the next episode is released. And doing that really is the best way to support the podcast, so that we can help other people just like you reach their full potential and become legendary. I'm Tom Billu, and welcome to Impact Theory. I want to start with yeah. a quote from your hyper viral talk on the oxford debate stage uh you're talking about woke culture and so in the quote you're going to say this side so i just want people to know this side means this side of the debate effectively Mm. and we on this side of the house are not on this side of the house because we do not wish to improve the world we sit on this side of the house because we know that the way to improve the world is to work is to create it is to build And the problem with woke culture is that it's trained too many young minds like yours to forget about that. I wanna know why is it training people to forget about that? There has to be a reason and there has to be a reason that that's catching on.
1: Hmm. Well, why can have two meanings, can't it? Because you can have the what for meaning or why as and because of, Mm. right? And I don't think there's much of a what for. I think it's much more of a because. I think uh, victimhood, sells well people in our current society believe that being a victim gives you advantages because it does because it does if you say you know i'm an immigrant which i am uh therefore and you list a bunch of things that are difficult for you it's weaponized empathy we we live in a society where we believe that being a victim has some kind of moral value almost right and so I think we are we are training kids by incentives. We're incentivizing victimhood, and so people are becoming, you know, it's like these kids who, who you know, who are like zero point zero 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 one percent Native American stuff. Like, why would you do that? Why are we now seeing increasingly people identify into groups that? we're supposedly told that being discriminated against people claiming to be things that they're not actually in order to find themselves in a position where they can say, well, I'm a victim too. Right? So I don't think there's any grand plan behind it. I just, I believe human beings respond to incentives. And if you
0: incentivize victimhood, then you're going to get victims. Okay. I'm with you on that, but it Mm -hmm. feels like this kind of thing is going to arise at certain times in history. Mm -hmm. So I started saying, to basically anybody who would listen, Mm. this is probably 15 years ago, maybe more, that some people need to be chased by a lion. Mm -hmm. And it was me sort of grappling with this idea of people latching on to ideas that felt like there's nothing in your life crowding out, you seeking a fight. And because the fight for survival isn't your daily reality and things aren't hard, now all of a sudden you find yourself drifting towards um, things that don't yield the desired outcome because you're not in a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll back that off and say, because I'm in business and the business itself is constantly in a life or death situation, you just become so pragmatic and you have to look at data and you have to look at what is working what is not working. Mm-hmm. And so there's a quote from Thomas Sowell that I I have just become obsessed with which is the last 30 years have been marked by exchanging what worked for what sounds good. Yes. And I'm just like it, that makes sense, but it like I I want those things to be true. Those things being like some of the ideas of communism and stuff, they really sound awesome. Mm. But in reality like the numbers just don't bear it out. And so that idea, I'm, I wonder if the ideas of what, the, what divides the culture war of victim mentality, I wonder if those incentives became incentives because we actually have it so good. There's no longer a fight that's banging down your door. And it almost becomes a, a belief system that only people in luxury can have.
1: Yes, and. So I think there are two parts to it. I think yes, that, and, you know, as you were talking, the line that came to me is life is suffering. Is that Buddhist? Is that what the Buddhists say? The
0: Buddhists certainly say that suffering arises from desire. I don't know if they say flat out life is suffering, but it certainly sounds Someone like Someone says life is might, suffering, yeah. yeah. The idea is out there.
1: The idea is out there that life is suffering, and so if you don't have suffering, then… You're going to create it for yourself. And, you know, I, I don't have a great grand theory of this, but my own experience of life is that the very best things that I've experienced are as a result of overcoming adversity. Mm. It's the most fulfilling thing. And not least because when you overcome adversity, it gives you the most powerful feeling that you can have that I've ever experienced, which is the, the being in control of your life. Gives you the illusion, and it is just an illusion, of being in control of your life, and so I think when you don't have that adversity, you're likely to end up in a position where you look for it elsewhere. You look for things to overcome. So yes, prosperity and comfort and safety and all these things that we enjoy in the modern West, I think, produce this. But also, you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about Thomas Sowell, who's just—I mean, he's a it's brilliant, he's legit. He, the the point that you make about substituting things that work for things that sound good is so apt to the current moment because of the internet and because of social media mm. because a lot of the communication about these issues is a product of a medium which rewards ideas that sound good and punishes ideas that sound bad if i say to you you know what are what are some of the, the things that are that sound good you know all things to all people, look after everybody, blah, 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 Sounds good. What if I say to you, your life is your responsibility. It's up to you to make what you want out of your uh, opportunities and the difficulties that you experience. Mm. No one's coming to save you. No one, right? We both know this. No one's coming to save you. But it doesn't sound good. It sounds terrible. Um, and so if you have a system which amplifies ideas that sound good but don't work, that is how you end up in the position that we're ending up in. And increasingly, some of these ideas are beginning to clash with reality. You know, and, and that's really the big narrative collapse that I see coming is at some point, these things will get so bad that reality will come and, and slap us in the face very, very hard. Mm
0: that's my big fear so when i look at what's going on when when a society gets to the point that we're at where we're just hyper affluent like even uh you know obviously there there is a point where people don't have enough calories and okay they have truly fallen off the ladder but (laughs) even for people that are in poverty and i have seen poverty up close uh we were talking before we started rolling um I have gotten to know a lot of people that have grown up in the inner cities. And so I've been inside their homes and I big brothered for a kid uh, in Compton and South Central. He moved around for eight and a half years. So I really, really got to see it up close. Mm. They have refrigerators, they have air conditioning, they have homes, but the neighborhoods are deadly and there, there is fundamental things about it that are completely broken, Mm. but There are so many luxuries that we take for granted. And so as I was looking at that and I had a thousand employees that grew up in the inner cities and I was like, wow, this isn't a money problem. This is a ideas problem. Mm -hmm. They have a mindset that is moving them backwards. But when I say that, I know how much that riles people up, but it goes back to what you said about, it doesn't sound good to say that you're in control, that nobody's coming to save you. But that's what works. Mm. And so if you take Kobe Bryant's advice, he has it's rapidly becoming my favorite quote, which is that booze don't block dunks. And the Mm. idea that you can get so good at something that people can't stop you from succeeding. Mm. Now, that puts you in a position to be aggressive in skill acquisition. Mm-hmm. If you get aggressive in skill acquisition, in, you meet minimum requirements. There is a certain amount of intelligence, which is why I love that there's a social safety net. And I believe mm-hmm. in all that. And I think it's mm-hmm. wonderful because there are some people that just aren't going to be able to compete in that sort of realm. But once you embrace, okay, wait a second. Nobody's coming to save me, but I can get so good at something that matters. It could be being a school teacher. It doesn't have to be running a business or whatever, but I can get so good at that thing mm-hmm. that I will always be able to make ends meet. I'll always be able to have a roof over my head, comfort, etc. But that when we're in this state where we have that sort of default level of comfort, mm-hmm. that you get into a positive feedback loop where your ideas, because your ability to eat is not hanging in the balance, that you end up in a situation where you, your ideas never get put to that life or death test. Mm. And so you can embrace ideas that aren't going to force you to move yourself forward. And when you're in that situation, there's nothing to unwind it. There's nothing to point out, this is a bad idea and it's not gonna lead anywhere until it all collapses and the society breaks. And now people are, are in the kind of pain and suffering that you need to be in to make radical change. And Ray Dalio really outlines this well with the six stages that any empire goes through. Mm. And the six stages total collapse. It's usually war, and that's the transition from five to six. And he puts us in halfway through phase five. And mm. for anybody, or stage five, for anybody that doesn't know Ray Dalio, built the largest hedge fund in the world. This is a guy who's put his money where his mouth is, bet that his assessment of the global macroeconomic situation is accurate, and one more than anyone else in history, and he's saying, "Hey, boys and girls, you're at stage five and a half mm. and when when you look at that, do you see a way out of this? Do you see a way to get people to exchange what sounds good for what works?
1: I don't want to give you an answer that sounds good, but doesn't work." Uh, <laughs> I don't know Thank is you. the truth, Tom. All I know is what my mission is in this space. That's all. I All all I know is I've got to say what I'm saying. I've got to try and wake people up to make them aware. Is it futile? I genuinely don't know. I, I just know that those of us who are aware of this issue have a duty to say something and have a duty to... Try and bring people to that understanding because if we don't, and I keep making this point wherever I go, we don't operate in a vacuum. There are other people in other places who would also like to be prosperous, who would also like to be comfortable, Mm. who would also like to be powerful, and then teaching their children that their country is shit. They're not teaching their children that the history of their country is defined by the worst elements of it. They're teaching their children to be strong, confident, intelligent, well-educated to the extent that they can with the resources that they have. Um, whereas we are doing the opposite. We are using our tremendous resources to teach young people to hate their own country. And I, I'm not as smart as, as the guy that you're talking about in terms of being able to plot out the, the course of civilization – I'm just saying, look, maybe this isn't a good recipe for for the success of our civilization and Mm. our society. And the reason I think that matters is that I have lived in places, many places, that are not the Western world, that do not operate by the same rules, that do not value the things that we value. And... Who's to say that, you know, some people would argue that, you know, well, you know, the Chinese have their own value system and the Russians have their own and they're all relative to each other and blah, 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 blah. Who knows who's right or wrong? I just know that for me and for people who, who, who are like me and who think like me, the preservation and survival and flourishing of the West is very, very important because the sort of things that we believe in, the sort of values that we have, they don't survive well in those other cultures Mm. they're not celebrated or encouraged or what are western values so i think there are several i mean one of them and the crucial one is the sanctity of the individual this is the most important thing that separates us from everybody else uh, or certainly from uh, many other major civilizations so if you look at for example what's happening in ukraine right now Vladimir Putin has absolutely no hesitation about sending hundreds of thousands of men to die in Ukraine for a small piece of land, uh, because the individual is not that valuable indeed in Russian mythology, you know, not mythology as in, you know, gods, but you know, the myths that a society tells itself about itself, uh, the sacrifice of the ordinary citizen for, for the monarch, for the leader is a noble and brilliant thing. Mm. And the, this kind of, you know, we lost 20, 000, 20 million people in World War Two, And yet people in Russia prior to this war and now, the, they would drive around Moscow with bumper stickers that said, we can do this again. Right? Because we defeated Jeez. Nazism. And the fact that it cost us 20 million lives due to incompetence and, and all sorts of other things that happened under Stalin uh, that made that war so bloody and brutal, that's fine. It's not a problem. We won and we can do it again. Right. Uh, the Chinese, again, th- the way their attitude to, you know, COVID happens, let's lock you in your home. It's fine. You know, I remember there was a, 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 I don't know if you saw this, there was a clip of a drone flying around outside of one of these apartment blocks in Beijing somewhere, which said, you must suppress your something like unnatural desire for liberty or s- something like that. Right. Wow. Uh, I may be misquoting, but the, the sense this, of it, yeah. the sense was the same. So the, the central thing of Western civilization is, to me at least, that I see, is the idea that you matter, you as an individual matter, your rights matter, your, you have uh, value in and of yourself by being a human being uh, in a way that other civilizations don't because they're much more collectivist in nature. And so sacrificing, you know, it's like if you, if you had to cut off a toe to save your whole body that's a good deal right and that's how a lot of other cultures think about individual human beings too we don't we generally don't we don't think about it in that way we we value the individual um, and then on top of that with that comes a whole slew of other things uh, if the individual is valuable and is sacred in some way uh, that means that that individual has a right to express their opinions. They have a right to pursue happiness. This is written mm-hmm. into the American Constitution. They they have a bunch of things that they're entitled to do, to speak their mind, to research the things in science that they want to do. And in my view, you know, one of the reasons that we are successful in terms of science and technology is we have the culture that produces better science and technology because of those freedoms, right? And this is the point I've always tried to make to people in the West is like, the fact that we sit in this lap of luxury and technological sophistication and advancement and comfort um, is a product of our cultural values and our history. Uh, It's not all about colonialism. It's also about the fact that we had a certain way of looking at the world that was closer to creating the reality that we have than other ways of looking at the world, right? Uh, and it's the preservation of that way of looking at the world that I think is really important. And the part of the problem with what's going on now, and one of the reasons that I oppose, you know, whatever you want to call it, progressivism or wokeness or whatever, is precisely because it is antithetical to those values. Um, you know, the idea, for example, that human beings should be treated on the content of their character, is not an idea that really exists anywhere in the in, in the world fundamentally, other than the West. Uh, you know, the idea in Russia, the idea that like a gay man is equal to a straight man, is absurd. Would never occur to someone to think in that way. Gay people are minority. Look, we don't always have to beat them up, but but they're not, but they're not real men, right? That's a large part of how many people in that country would think. You know, if you're a Uyghur in China, again, you know, no one cares about your rights. You go in a camp. And uh, what bothers me about (laughs) what we're doing in Western society is we're undoing this very novel and quite radical idea by human standards Mm. that it doesn't matter what your skin color is, it doesn't matter what your sex is. We are going to try to treat each other on the basis of the fact that we're both individuals and connect with each other through our minds and through our hearts without looking at all the superficial meat suit shit that doesn't actually matter, right? That to me is valuable and I'm not prepared to be quiet when people try and throw it out the window. It's really
0: interesting. So the fundamental schism being uh, the collective versus the individual, mm-hmm. certainly um, an argument that I find very compelling. The thing that... I think that addresses that – See, it's it's very uh, out of fashion – is that that idea plants the overcoming of things like slavery, like bigotry, like uh, having a problem. Like if you go back, you don't have to go back very far to see gay people being just absolutely ostracized and yet now being more and more welcomed – because it's like, if if there is, and I'm not religious, but I like the idea of there's a spark of divinity inside mm. every human, there's something special, there's something sacred. And when you have that, that idea becomes a bit of a mind virus. And so mm. even though it takes a distressing amount of time for these ideas to work their way in, you can go from the people that write the constitution end up writing in this mind virus, of um, all men are created equal mm. when obviously at the time that they write it, they don't mean it literally, mm-hmm. but it plants an idea in people's minds and that idea ends up taking over. And this is where, and I don't know that I've thought through all of this well enough to be like, plant a flag and say, this is my mm. my take on it, which is actually one of the things I want to talk to you about is how difficult these ideas are to work through, mm. um, which is part of how I think we end up here. But so you have this mind virus that they plant in themselves. It takes hold. And over time, it it keeps, you know, when people say the long arc of history bends towards justice, when you have ideas like that. Mm. And now... It, what what's weird though is this becomes an Ouroboros for people that have ever seen that image of the dragon eating its own tail mm. it's like the very idea of the and, and I'm I'm now stretching beyond what I've ever said out loud before so if you can help me adjust course here by all means mm. uh, you get by giving that sort of spark of divinity and having that idea in people's minds, you then get to the point of my live truth, the way that I feel matters. I, I am the divine. And so what I perceive is therefore real. And so it becomes this weird moment. And I have so much love and empathy for people that end up here because I really, the thing I've struggled with in my life is my intellect is, just limited enough that I really struggle with like super nuanced things, I feel like over time I can get somewhere useful, but I have a lot of empathy for people that get lost in some of the nuance. So as you view yourself as having that spark of divinity, that what I feel is so true, that for others to not recognize that is somewhat of a a personal affront. And if you're thinking that in a society where for the most part, like your basic needs are going to be met. You now get in a point where you haven't had the reality smacking you in the face that you were talking about that forces you to confront, I don't think this is working. Mm. And that gets us what we have now, which is very well-intentioned people that are lovely, beautiful humans that have value in the spark of divinity, but their ideas are no longer bending the long arc of history towards justice
1: Mm. it's a very interesting thought and i think one of the things that went unsaid there but is fundamentally at the core of it is that society only works and i say this as an agnostic if there is a religious religious superstructure imposed on top of it Mm. which says yes you have the spark of divinity inside of you but there's something greater than all of us that that we are all connected through um, and once you take that away and you put the human being on a pedestal, then yes, my lived experience becomes reality, and the denial of my reality becomes violence or an attack on
0: on my very identity. Mm. That's where we are where we are. Um, so you're saying that we need a superstructure to so here's an interesting idea. Tell me if this jives with what you're saying. Mm. The right level of analysis is the individual. That's something Jordan Peterson said that really struck me. Mm -hmm. Like as you start to atomize things and think about where should these decisions be made, Mm -hmm. it will ultimately come down to the individual. Mm -hmm. I think he's right about that, certainly in a a Western context where it's not a collectivist vision. Uh, But once you get down to the atomized individual to avoid sort of ideological chaos, you have to have some sort of superstructure that you exist within. That Mm -hmm. superstructure could be... um, the constitution, the, the democratic experiment that is the United States. Um, it could be religion, but it has to be something. And if we don't have a shared vision of um, what that superstructure ought to be, and I use that word with moral implications, mm. then we run into the trouble that we're seeing now. And then you have a very polarized society in which people feel like they're not even living in the same country. Now, do you think each side of that debate is they have their own superstructure and that's what makes them a coherent side?
1: Hmm. Never really thought about that. So you and I are working through some stuff here that I've never really thought about yeah. out loud before. So I may say things that I later don't necessarily agree with, but if we're working through it, do they have their own superstructure? Well, I mean the the conservative religious right have a, a superstructure and to a certain extent would we say that the woke left has a superstructure above it I mean you know I think these these sort of reachings for institutionalized whatever and systemic whatever it, it's a it's an attempt to have a w- world view that is just as faith based as the belief in a in a divine being if you mm. think about it because it's something that exists in the absence of evidence, even if there is some evidence for it. Uh, the argument that the you know the Ibrahim X Kendi types make is that I mean, it's a circular circular reasoning. You know, the absence of racism is is only a reflection of the fact that someone is being racist but doesn't realize it. That's kind of how that works, right? Um, so I don't know. The problem is that I think you need you need a superstructure that is in the words of a good friend of mine who's a Cambridge professor, James Orr, we've just released an interview with him. It's brilliant. We need something that's pre-political.
0: pre <laughs> and Pre-political. pre-political.
1: And, and that is essentially something that we all take for granted, you know. Mm. Um, we don't really seem to have that anymore. And that's why I'm so concerned. You know, I'm neither on the right, on the left. But I, when I see elements of the left go down the path of sort of saying... you know our countries are terrible it makes me wonder well if you i don't know if they actually think that but let's say let's assume that they do if you thought that this house was terrible or that your life was terrible or that the values of your country were terrible why would you defend them why would you fight for them why would you teach Mm. those values and those ways of being to your children right So if you get to a point where people are no longer willing to understand that while, yes, our society is not perfect, it is the best society available and it is therefore worthy of protecting and defending and growing as a result. Well, then you've kind of got yourself to a position where, you know, I don't see this extreme progressivism as seeking to make America or Britain or the West better. I just see it as attempting to pull things down because they're not good enough, right? That is a problem.
0: Because you're destroying that superstructure?
1: Uh, Well, I think the superstructure has already kind of been destroyed. You're destroying, you're laying the foundations of um, a civilization that is incapable of defending itself. I don't mean physically necessarily. Mm. I think if the United States was to be attacked, there would be enough people who'd go and fight to defend it. Yeah, right
0: but now. that's so that's a really interesting moment. And so uh, I was literally just taking notes <laughs> on this idea. So I grew up in the 80s. Mm. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies were everything. America was great. Your hometown of Russia was bad. Yeah. And it was awesome. And it was awesome because I had clarity. Yeah. I knew that we were the best. Mm-hmm. I knew that you were the enemy mm-hmm. and that really gave me an anchor.
1: And we had the same in the Soviet Union by the way. You were the
0: enemy. Of course. We
1: were the, the great and we were and every, everybody was happy.
0: Yeah. So there there as I think about what the actual note that I took is too many perspectives coming too fast. Mm. And so to your point about social media, what ends up happening is every time you try to anchor, this is my idea, mm. somebody hits you with no, 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 that idea doesn't make sense. Yeah. And you're like, oh, damn, they kind of have a point. But now I feel unmoored again. And so then you're like, I just need a team. Just tell me what team I'm on. And this is how you get into the hyperpolarization. Because mm-hmm. I, need, I need there to be a group of thoughts so I don't have to think through every issue and contend with all the very intelligent arguments coming at me from both sides. Because there are really smart people on mm-hmm. both sides with really compelling arguments. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've learned just as an immutable truth, the reason that you end up in a situation where you have really intelligent people coming at things from exactly opposite ends Mm -hmm. is that there is truth in both sides. Mm -hmm. And so this is where then I'm like, okay, the superstructure I want for everybody is first principles. What works? What actually, as we get closer to the laws of physics and we are able to accurately predict the outcome of our behavior and the behavior of others, you know you're getting closer to ground-level truth. And that's like, that would be my fantasy, is that we can all get our heads around that. We can say, this is our stated goal. What are the behaviors, the cultural inculcations Mm -hmm. that we need to do in order to achieve that? So you laid them out, what the West has done, the experiment that we've run, the mind virus of the individual is the right thing to focus on because that leads to the seeking of truth in scientific realms, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I think a whole host of other things that are probably better not to completely fractal on right now. So going back to this idea of you've got all of these perspectives coming at you very quickly, you wanna start bifurcating into teams so that you you have an anchor. You don't have to think through all these different ideas. Mm. But the fascinating thing is, even as everything is being eroded, if America were to be attacked, now suddenly you're in that thing where there is real hardship, there is real pain, there's real suffering. When somebody comes and kicks your front door and with a machine gun, it's like, whoa, now like this is really time to react. And moments like that, I think would be incredibly galvanizing. Mm-hmm. But again, that comes back to, you need that level of pain and suffering that I really would love to find a way to avoid. Mm. But it's, so going back to the idea of you've got, I, th- the, the way I've always, always articulated this idea is there is a God shaped hole in everyone's heart. Mm. Now I'm not religious, so I don't fill that hole with God. I fill that hole with biology. So I, if there were one thing I'm trying to get across to the world, it is this. You are having a biological experience. Mm. Your brain works in a certain way. Once you understand your brain is influenced by your gut and that Whatever 85% of the serotonin in your body, which controls a lot of your mood, is actually made and stored in your gut. Like that's so startling to me. And thusly, what you eat is going to influence your mood. Mm. So now it's like, hey, this divine vehicle that you have, it's a vehicle and it works in a certain kind of way. And if you take care of it, it will work well. And if you don't, it won't. And so that has left me with this tremendous sense of awe and this desire to go inward and understand how I work. And so that fills that thing for me that creates a superstructure so that when I am left with the atomization of I'm an individual person, Mm. I start going, okay, what are my moral, what's my moral compass? My moral compass, given what I just said about biology, the individual, I think it will make sense for people that my moral compass is all about what increases human thriving and decreases human suffering, right? It's going to be something very tactical, tactile. It's going to come down to what, what the individual is going through. And so everybody is going to need that thing for themselves. And I don't think they have that clarity in a world where so many ideas are bombarding them so quickly. And the, world that they are in is relatively affluent Mm -hmm. and there's nobody with a machine gun knocking on their door Mm -hmm. but any any crisis like that collapses their ideology down to getting back to first principles what works in this moment Mm -hmm. what keeps me and my family safe right here right now in this moment it cuts out all the bullshit i don't know if that made sense but If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Alsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. That made
1: perfect sense, except I, I would argue it's not true if you look at what happened during COVID. COVID was, for a lot of people at least initially, an experience that should have been that thing that you talk about. And actually, I don't know if it was the case here, but in the UK, for the first couple of weeks, it legitimately felt like, wow, we've all got something that is affecting all of us, that is scary, that is dangerous. We don't know how dangerous, we don't know how scary, but what we've got to do is work together, look after the vulnerable you know, pull in the same direction.
0: It was exactly the same here.
1: It it was like that for a few weeks. And then I... This is going to sound political, but it's not meant political. It's just a statement of fact. And then BLM happened, mm. right? And then all of the hypocrisies of how we treat different groups and all of that stuff suddenly ruined all of that. That's what I saw. Right. And this isn't any, this is not even an anti-BLM point. It was just like, you can't have everyone locked in their homes for weeks. And then the moment people want to protest about a particular issue, now going outside without a mask and protesting next to other people is a health intervention.
0: But this proves my point. Okay. Because what happened was, in the first few weeks, we thought that there was a guy with a machine gun kicking down our door and then then we realized it's actually not as bad as we thought but because we were saying hey this is is as bad or worse than you think it's going to be and so you could get away with give me all the control the authoritarian Mm. control which we need to get into authoritarianism yeah but but just to finish this point so uh you need to give me all the control because this is really bad but then the reality of it didn't end up being that Mm -hmm. and so the virus didn't spread especially when you were outside Mm -hmm. and so or didn't spread as fast it should be very clear so it didn't spread as fast when you were outside and so all of the people who were like oh but this is going to be crazy if if you're right this is going to be a super spreader event and then it wasn't a super spreader event and so then it was like is this as dangerous as we think like i remember dude washing the grocery bags that would come into my house with sanitizer, sanitizing everything, only buying things that I could that was either prepackaged or that I could sanitize the outside of. I mean, lest people forget how big of a question mark this was. And this is not to take anything away. COVID killed a lot of people. Mm. But it wasn't like the Spanish flu of 1918 that killed whatever 50 million people. Mm. So this, you have these moments where you think a guy with a machine gun is kicking down your door or that you're being chased by a lion, but in, in the end, you're not. And so it created this really weird dissonance mm. of people were going into camps, but then they still weren't forced to figure out what actually works. Mm. And so my thing is, mm-hmm. once you start, so I, I really, this idea, and, and now I'm speaking as an entrepreneur, and so I'm, I'm just in my zone. Everything up till now is, is me thinking through an idea, and I'm, I'm very grateful for people giving me the space to process but now speaking as an, as an entrepreneur i will just tell you that to build a business you must become a fiendish prediction engine you have to get very good at if i do this mm-hmm. i will get this result mm-hmm. because if i don't i can't pay people's salary so there there's just a really cut and dry thing you're dealing with the market the marketplace does not care about you like you just either give something to people that they want more than they want their money Mm -hmm. uh and you can sell it at a profit or you don't that's it it's cut and dry and so in that you really start to go okay it doesn't matter what i want to be true Mm -hmm. like just all that bullshit just it's gone Mm -hmm. what is true yes and you become fiendish to figure that out. And the people that end up doing well are people to get very accurate at going, if I do this thing, I'm going to get this result. If I do that thing, I'm going to get that result. And they they get into what I call the physics of progress. I think no matter what you're trying to accomplish in your life, there is a loop. It does not change for anybody that you have to run through. And I mapped this out and I was teaching it in a business class. And I actually first started teaching it here to my own staff. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys on my team goes, uh, oh, that's the scientific method. And I was like, oh my God, it is the scientific method. And I realized, okay, when multiple disciplines come to the same conclusion from totally different angles, the odds that that thing is useful in generating a predictive engine is pretty high. And so when that prediction engine can break down because there isn't the level of threat that you thought, mm. this is where all hell breaks loose.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, let's. that makes perfect sense. And let's come back slightly further because you talked about your own... Um, how you fill the God-shaped hole. And, and you mm. mentioned that for you, part of that is uh, human flourishing and avoiding human suffering. The problem is, those things are subjective and they're mm. also operating on a subjective timeline. Uh, there is There are things that will cause human suffering now that will cause human flourishing 10 years from now. Uh, right? The delayed gratification point. Yeah. So how you define those things is also subjective, which is why a superstructure cannot uh, reside within you. It has to be something pre-political. It has to be something that other people not just agree with, but other people believe almost without questioning. That's what a superstructure is. Mm. Um, And religion provided that very very well for a period of time but we we are in the in the west only in, in a somewhat post-religious age i mean maybe not maybe that actually will change over time but the problem i think we're having is that you are right to say that you have a lot of very smart and well-intentioned people from different sides not being able to agree and i think the reason is you know jonathan height has obviously written about this that people with different psychological profiles and as a result political v- visions um They value different things. Mm. uh, And so if you are left-leaning or sort of liberal-leaning, compassion is going to be much higher on your list of priorities, whereas someone who's more pragmatic like you Mm. uh, is going to say, well, yes, I have to, you know, you are a member of my team and I have to give you a telling off and say, no, you fucked this up, right? But we're going to work together to make sure it doesn't happen again so that you grow as a person and you're more effective. Well, for some people that's unpleasant and suffering, but if you're interested in growing a business, you know that sometimes you have to get things to work properly. And part of that means telling people things they don't want to hear. Right. We talked about this before we started. Mm. Um, And I think that's probably a lot of where the disagreement is. Because we don't have an overarching superstructure above everybody, then you end up in a position where it's like, well, if you want to pursue your version of human flourishing and I want to pursue my version of human flourishing, they could look completely differently based on what we believe to be true about the world. Now, yes, I agree with you that you've taken a lot of time clearly and thought very carefully about what it is that works and doesn't work in the real world. Most people haven't. Most people haven't. And, and a lot of them operate on the basis of what makes them feel good because that's the original mechanism by which human beings existed, right? You mm-hmm. feel bad about something, you avoid it. You feel good about something, you, you pursue it. The world's got more complicated, and so you have to have those loops that you talked about. Uh, but a lot of people don't operate through them. And even if they did, you still probably find that because people are different psychologically, they value different things, and they define flourishing and suffering in different ways. Mm-hmm which is why I don't think that's enough.
0: Here's an idea. I would Mm -hmm. love to hear what you think about this. So uh, the business world has taught me a lot about human nature. And so I maybe take a slightly different approach to everything that's happening right now. So in a business, you absolutely need uh, two different types. You need a dreamer visionary Mm -hmm. and you need an executor. Mm -hmm. And I've seen way too many times, really smart people, Constantine, really smart people. And one of them's a visionary and he thinks the executor is an idiot and the executor is brilliant and he thinks the visionary is an idiot. And you're sitting there watching it going, wait, how, how have you guys gotten this far without realizing it's the tension between the two of you mm. that actually finds the right path. Mm. And so in business, it's often talked about as the kite and the string. So if you have a kite that has no string, it just flies off into nothingness, crashes into a tree, falls to the ground, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you have a string without a kite obviously just lays on the ground so you need the two in dynamic tension and if the kite were angry at the string and thought the string was useless and a fool and the string thought the kite was you know uh, a good for nothing then it it, it's just mayhem and that's what i feel like is happening politically and dude i'm not a political person i never thought i would ever have a conversation like this or i would ever need to think through these problems Mm. and then i started realizing oh this is like the left and right debate again My, on my tombstone, I wanted to read, you're having a biological experience. Hmm. And what I want people to understand is evolution has just molded the life out of you. And you are a product of a lot of evolution and evolution is a hundred percent trying to make sure that you have kids that survive long enough to have kids. Okay. When you've got a lot of lions chasing you, you need a strong group. So there is going to be this, nature is going to make sure that there's cohesion in a group. But what makes for cohesion? Strong individuals. Okay, cool. So we're going to have a collectivist versus individual tension. And because if you don't, you get what's called the freeloader problem. So if everybody is like, no man left behind, like we've got to take care of everybody. From an evolutionary standpoint, you just created a game theoretic gap and somebody's going to go, oh word, nobody left behind. I'll be chilling here. Go get me some food, bring it back. Group says you have to take care of me all as well. And so if you had that, then everybody, everybody becomes the freeloader and then you die off. So you have to have this countervailing force mm-hmm. that's like, no way, like I, I will take care of you, but I need to know that you're gonna take care of me too the next time. And so now you've got the tension between the two. You've got somebody who's like saying, hey, you're accountable for everything. Your life is your choice. Nobody's mm-hmm. coming to save you. You better get out there and hunt. Then you've got somebody else that's like, yo, you can't be like that. You have more than you can eat. Come on, share with the group. And so when you get the dynamic tension between those two, you have a functioning society. Mm-hmm. But when you have each side going, you're an idiot, you don't belong here. My way is the only way. Mm-hmm. It devolves into madness. Yes. And so I will point people back to being an entrepreneur, which I did not plan to quote on this so much. Ray Dalio, guy I mentioned earlier, builds the largest hedge fund in the world billions and billions of dollars. This guy's crazy. His success is ridiculous. And it's all on the back of this horrendous failure. And so he's probably mid thirties. He's the wonderkind. Like he's just the guy and he's killing it. And he lays out this whole strategy and he tells the world like, this is what's going to happen. He puts all in on it. Chips start going his way. He looks like a genius and then it stalls. And it doesn't go his way and he loses everything, man. He goes from being ultra wealthy to having having to borrow money to pay rent and put groceries on his kid's table. I mean, just the most catastrophic fall you can imagine. And so he's like, okay, I'm gonna start all over again and I'm gonna reboot everything, but I'm gonna have one guiding force and that is the recognition of the fallibility of my thinking. Mm -hmm. And I am no longer gonna see myself as super smart, I'm going to see myself as somebody who absolutely must cultivate in others, the willingness to tell me when I'm wrong mm-hmm. and why I'm wrong. And so this got me obsessed with free speech. Mm. So I think that we are all, no matter how smart you are, literally no matter how smart, you're gonna be blind to something. 100%. And if you don't live in a world where people can tell you are encouraged that you invite them to tell you where you're wrong, you will implode at some point. Do
1: you know what I do with my guys at trigonometry? I'm always starting arguments. I'm always like, so what do you think about this? No, but I can see you don't quite agree with me. And and I do this all the time. And this is the beauty of what, you know, we have me, Francis and our producer, Anton, like the core team and then a bunch of other people. And that's what I've always tried to do because while it's very tempting to think I'm a very smart person, I also recognize the different perspectives and people, you know, you said the biological experience. I mean, the biological experience can drive you into all sorts of cul-de-sacs, both intellectually and emotionally. Right. Um, So that is, I couldn't agree with you more, man. It's so important that we are able to challenge ourselves and be challenged by others. Um, To me, uh, I I don't actually know a lot about leadership because it's a new thing to me having mm. our team and but it's something I've thought often about which is I think uh you know that's such a a difficult balance to strike between being a strong confident assertive leader who 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 has vision and takes the team forward but also someone who can uh, not only just hear feedback, but actually encourage it so that it's given in the first place. And that's that's kind of what I've always tried to work on since. You know, I remember when we we were about to hire our first uh, staff member, I was dreading it. Because I, I knew I wasn't prepared. But there's only one way to prepare, which mm. is to do it, right? Um, so, yeah, and free speech is, is to broaden it out, as you have. I think that's right. Um, and that is why, you know, the scientific progress we talked about earlier is a product of that because it's, it's the ability to challenge
0: ideas. How um, much would you give up for free speech? How far would you let people go?
1: Well, it depends what you mean, because, uh, I, for example, you know, in certain countries in Europe, it is illegal to deny the Holocaust, right? Um,
0: in, Constantinland, in Constantin land, is that, is that Okay.
1: Denying the Holocaust. Yeah. It is to me, yeah. And, you know, I have family who, who di- who've who died in, in that war and who were Jewish. Um, I don't personally want to. That, but but we, we've we got ourselves into a bit of a confusion as a society because people confuse, uh, you know, you won't have a Holocaust denier on your podcast. Mm. That means you don't believe in free speech. That's a slightly different conversation. Agreed. Right? But I do think people should be allowed... Look, this isn't a popular view, particularly. uh, As someone who has experienced racism, I don't think it should be illegal to be racist, Mm. right? To say racist things. It should be illegal to discriminate against people because of their race and employment and and education or wherever. But people should be allowed to have and express pretty much any opinion in my view. I recognize that's not how other people think. Um,
0: Do you think that's a like if if the scales had to tip one way or the other, do we lean more towards people believing in free speech now in the West or away from it?
1: Well, I, I think the scales is the wrong metaphor because I think there's some people who very strongly feel free speech is important. And mm-hmm. there are also some people who feel very strongly that feelings and you know protecting people from hearing things they don't like is very important so i don't know what the balance of that is because i think those camps are almost separate they're not even on the same scale to some extent right um i think if you were to poll the ordinary person it depends country by country i mean in the uk uh, we have laws against uh, we have law lo- it's illegal in the uk to be grossly offensive that
0: freaks me out it freaks me out when did that happen
1: uh, I believe it was brought in under the Blair government. I, don't quote me on this. I could be wrong, but that's fairly recent, right. actually. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so between 97 and 2010, it would have come across, come in at that point, maybe even before. But it was never really robustly enforced if it had been in place. So mm. don't quote me on it. But it, it, it's, it's a relatively new occurrence. Right, it's not from it's, the 1800s. I, I don't believe so. And if it is, I don't recall. You know, when I was growing up in the UK, I don't remember hearing about people being... Mm you know, prosecuted or arrested or even having the police visit them for things that they said. And and now it's it happens. Mm. And it freaks me out. You're right. And it should. It should freak us out.
0: Yeah. Where do you think that... where Where does the denial of free speech go? Well, you
1: charted it perfectly yourself. If we cannot challenge bad ideas, bad ideas thrive. And when bad ideas thrive that disconnect between reality and ideas gets wider and wider. And then you and I have both, I think, explained where that leads. Mm. Uh, It leads to, to, you know, the the clash with reality. I mean, you can believe that gravity is not real as long as you want, but when you jump out of a window, you're going to find out.
0: Talk to me about Russia, because I think there's another element to this where um, I watched the movie uh, Chernobyl. Mm. And it really freaked me out, like how being watched all the time, knowing that there are certain things that you can say and can't say, like what it does to the psyche and how um, it can lead to a nuclear disaster. Because you're not able to speak up, you're not able to just plain say, hey, asshole, like I can't do that because it's gonna fucking melt down. Yeah. Um, you were born in Russia. Mm. What what does it do? like? to the vibe I'm not sure what the right word is to use but like what does it do to this society when people aren't able to just be open and honest because there's really like fear of punishment
1: mm. well a, a lot of people it's obviously not comparable but a lot of people know what that feels like now because a lot of people worry about expressing their actual mm-hmm. opinions in public and it was funny because I was just in New York we, we've just done a couple of weeks of a trip around the U.S. Uh, and I got invited to this thing that's run by a friend of mine called Thought Criminals, and it's a small group of people who are uh, uh, who get together and talk about things that they believe that they can't talk about in public or mm. in their work and whatever. And they asked us Francis and I to speak a little bit. And you know, I said to them, I've been in this room before because even in the 1980s, I remember as a little kid running around in you know my grandfather's kitchen. And there would be, you know, physicists and biologists and musicians and artists sitting around in a small kitchen talking about the very things that they could not discuss
0: elsewhere. That's a lot of trust, man.
1: Yeah. And it didn't always work out. So in my (laughs) grandfather's case, in one of gatherings of this kind, he criticized the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And within very short order, he was fired from his job his wife was fired from her job and both their children, that's my father and my aunt, were kicked out of university. He had the KGB searcher's house. Uh, They found a uh, radio receiver that he used to listen to uh, BBC World Service and Voice of America. And you couldn't, you were were not allowed to. Mm. This was uh, a terrible crime. Uh, And so eventually that's actually in part why I ended up in England because he couldn't remain in the Soviet Union. And as it was sort of tapering out at the end, he left and went to the UK. And then when my parents had a bit of money, they sent me to boarding school to England to be there. Uh, But my point is, it it creates, and to this day, we don't actually know what people in Russia think about the war, for example. We don't. uh, Because what polling says isn't necessarily (laughs) reflective because Russians learn, and other people in the Soviet Union learn over a long period of time, that you have a, Public reality, you have a mm. work reality, and then you have the kitchen table reality, and some of these can be in complete contradiction to each other, mm. um, and it, it creates a culture of fear in which, as you say, people are afraid to speak up, people are afraid to take initiative. That's the worst thing. Imagine a business where people don't take initiative because mm. they're afraid. How if you you have a bunch of people working for you, how bad would the product that you produce be if none of them ever felt able to say? actually, why don't we do it like this? Let's try that. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Oh, if, yes. if everybody was constantly worried about protecting their job and therefore didn't innovate, didn't do anything different, didn't try things, didn't challenge authority, didn't challenge the people above them, and so mm. on. Like, th- that, it's a very stifling atmosphere. And it's extraordinary to me how successful the Soviet Union was in competing with the world superpower in spite of that system. It shows you the incredible talent and intellect of the people of the former Soviet Union who really, uh, you know, punched above their way, in my opinion,
0: mm. given the terrible structures that they were operating in. Yes. This is the thing that scares me. And this is why I think what we're calling it. This will be interesting. I'll try to dissect my own argument here. This is the thing that I find terrifying is that even in a country like that, that has what I would call very bad ideas, mm. they are able to be successful to a certain point. And so somebody that's going to attack me, if I were going to steal man, their argument, I would say, Look at China. Look at what they've done. Look at Russia. Look at what they did. I mean, they for a long time, they were the other superpower. And yes, they've had sort of a blip and for a while they struggled, but it's like, you know, they're kind of coming back. Like, you, depending on how you look at what Putin is doing, he's, God, this is not me saying this. I want to be very clear, <laughs> but like reunifying, you know, the the country or however it's thought of. And so as somebody who has read the gulag archipelago who's read um mao the unknown story who's read the red famine g zus uh it really is it's really distressing depending on what it is that you value because this stuff will go on for a long time. Like a lot of people died in the Red Famine, but the country didn't go away. Mm -hmm. Like they still, like they managed to like, you know, figure some things out and keep going. And even when the Soviet Union fell, it's not like Russia fell into the sea. Like they, you know, they build back and countries fragment, but they start doing their own thing. And so it really comes down to what vibe do you get When you think about, and I'll just make this about work, as you were talking, I was like, oh, man, that's actually a really good analogy. The way that I view what happens when you lose free speech is what most people experience every day at work. Mm -hmm. Where, oh, think about how much, like, you think your boss is an idiot, but you're like, I can't say anything because if I do, then I'm going to get fired or whatever. That's what it would be like. And so I don't know why people are racing towards it when they're busy hating their job and they Mm. think, you know, they work for a moron, but they can't say anything and they complain about it and they want out and they want to do their own thing. But yet there's like this cultural movement that will yield the same result. So in at Impact Theory, dude, you can't imagine how many times to my own team I've given the speech. Nobody here is above criticism, least of all me. Mm. I am not smart enough to take us where we want to go. I need people to tell me when I'm going awry. I need people like you are literally being hired for two things. Are you willing and able to make decisions and stand by them? And can you speak to power? Because if you can't speak to power and you're not willing to tell me what you really think, we're going to crash and burn. Have you heard about um, South Korean airlines and how they used to have the worst safety record in, in the entire industry? Okay, this is crazy. This, this to me is what happens when free speech goes away. So they have a cultural thing there where you respect your elders. So if the captain outranks you and you're in the plane uh, and you're the co-pilot and something's going wrong, you can make suggestions, but you can't like snap them out of it. And so they have these black box recordings, do this eerie, they did this whole uh, documentary of black box reenactments Mm. uh, of these famous plane crashes. And there were a couple in there from South Korea and it goes like this, Uh, excuse me, pilot, um, do you think we're getting a little close to that mountain? No, 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 everything's fine. Uh, Excuse me, sir, could it be possible that if we were to pull up that we'd be in a better situation? I told you to maintain your course. They are careening towards a fucking mountain, man. They eventually crash into that mountain. And at no point does the co-pilot go, hey, motherfucker, we're gonna run into the mountain and we need to pull up. What the fuck are you doing? Mm. And that to me is when you lack free speech, you get Chernobyl, watch it if you haven't, you get South Korean airlines. They finally had to do this whole like cockpit protocol where in the cockpit, you could absolutely, it did not matter, hierarchy was gone. So whatever, like before you clock in, whatever deference you're showing somebody, the second you clock in that goes away, Mm. you've got to say exactly what you think is true. You've got to be assertive. You've got to be willing to call it. Mm. And I was just like, wow, like there are real consequences when people aren't for whatever reason compelled to say what they think is true.
1: And the most beautiful illustration of that is the movie Crimson Tide. Have you ever seen it?
0: I have, but a long time ago. Denzel
1: Washington and uh, Gene Hackman, I think. Yes. And that's the whole plot of the movie. It's the captain of the boat and his XO, and there's a decision to be made, and the XO is doing everything he can to prevent a bad decision from being made by the captain Mm. who's chosen a particular path to pursue, and the entire movie is about that fact and at at the end the way that that whole thing is shown as being the the true value of not just free speech but honor in that whole system is uh, what happens is they end up not launching nuclear weapons at my boys <laughs> <laughs> uh, as it was a cold war movie and it turns out to be the right decision mm. However, there is a mutiny aboard a nuclear submarine, which is a pretty big fucking deal, Wolf. right? So there is some kind of investigation, and the captain is questioned about what happened, but his XO is not in this courtroom, the military court-martial, mm. whatever it is. And they bring in Denzel Washington, who's the XO, and they say, you know, we've made a decision, something like this. And he goes, what, without my testimony? And they say, you know, Captain Ramsey, who's the captain of the boat. I've known him for thirty years. You know, we don't, we don't need to. We don't need to mistrust him, right? Mm. And the point is that at the end of that whole process, the captain who fought so hard to have his decision implemented knows he fucked up, and he's willing to admit it. That's the whole point of the movie, mm. right? And the ends by, I think, the final shot of the thing is uh, since then. They've changed the protocol on the submarines so mm. that you can't, you need, I think, you know, they've changed the whole thing basically, right? So you no longer have that conflict, which is exactly what you're talking about, mm. right? It's situation, someone speaks up, that speech is eventually heard, people cling more to what's important the, over what is in their own personal interest, right? Mm. Because there's a bigger thing at stake uh, and lessons are learned. That's that's like the whole thing in, in in a movie. That's why free speech is important because mm. it prevents
0: you from making mistakes in the future. You've said that every generation has to fight for free speech again. Mm. Why? What what is the so I'm this is my bias. There's some biological thing that makes people want to shut down free speech mm. for whatever reason, and then there's some biological reason why people want it on the other side. Now, I think we've made a pretty we've laid out why it can be wildly problematic to not have free speech, Mm. but what's the pull on the other side? Why, why does every generation have to fight this over and over?
1: Well, free speech is kind of unpleasant. Isn't
0: it? Isn't it? It can be man. So no, it is.
1: It is. I mean, when we think in what
0: way, because people say things that make you go, "Oh yeah, that was kind of stupid of me. Uh, Or they just say things that you don't like.
1: Or they express opinions you don't agree with, right? For example, I feel very strongly about what's happening in Ukraine, Yep. right? So for me, hearing people saying horrible shit about Ukrainians who are fighting for their lives and calling them Nazis and lying about that whole situation, mm. it upsets me. Or it could do if I let it. And at some points, I let it. It's a fact. What if I could just press a button and then none of these people ever say any of
0: that again? Mm. Wouldn't my
1: life be so much more improved?
0: Right? Definitely not. But that could be because I'm already so far down the path. Yeah. So you understand
1: that my life would not be improved. Mm. But a lot of people don't understand that because it's reaction, stimulus reaction. That's all it is. Oh, I feel bad. Okay, shut it down. That's how a lot of people feel about life in general, because most people, as you well know, don't go through life not feeling in control. And so when a thing happens that you don't want to experience, that's what happens. Mm. that's what it's it's an, quite a natural instinct, and so, in many ways, I would argue free speech is very unnatural. It's a very unnatural thing, and that's why it has to be fought for repeatedly because people it's always tempting to go to the, shut it down. I don't like to I don't want to hear this mm. you know uh, and also, you know, if your ego is invested, this is the hardest thing for people who do what you do and do what I do, you know, whether you run a small YouTube channel or a massive business everyone has an element of ego that takes ages to get rid of, you know, to process and to, to, and so it's a, it's a challenge to your ego to have people challenge the things that you uh, are are saying or believing or thinking. And it's only when you transcend that and you go, this is about something bigger than me. This -hmm. is what you said about the speech you give your team, right? You said, if we're going to get to where we want to go, Mm then you have to be able to challenge me. But if all we are trying to do is get to where I want to go, maybe I don't need to hear your crappy opinion about how I'm doing it. Or maybe I just need you to suck up to me so that we carry on doing stuff that makes me feel good.
0: An owner will never do that. Eh, a successful owner will never do that because they know that at the end of the day, the rubber meets road. If you get a company, I guess that's like finally hit escape velocity and it's just making enough money, then you can start being stupid. But this is why the average company now stays in the S and P 500. I think for 12 years, it used to be 61, right? If you made it to the S and P 500, baby gravy train, 61 years, mm-hmm. now 12 yeah. bananas. So anyway, there's just a death spiral that happens when you, uh, want people to suck up it's really interesting so i came to being a ceo through a very weird way i started as a copywriter worked my way to partner in one company and then tried to quit that company and so they made me an equal partner in the next company long story my audience has heard me tell the story a thousand times uh and so that i was like i clawed my way to the top in in a very uh emotionally difficult environment mm-hmm. that was the intellectual equivalent. I want to start with yeah. a quote from your hyper viral talk on the Oxford debate stage. Uh, you're talking about woke culture. And so in the quote, you're going to say this side. So I just want people to know this side means this side of the debate effectively. Mm. And we on this side of the house are not on this side of the house because we do not wish to improve the world. We sit on this side of the house because we know that the way to improve the world is to work is to create, it is to build. And the problem with woke culture is that it's trained too many young minds like yours to forget about that. I wanna know why is it training people to forget about that? There has to be a reason and there has to be a reason that that's catching on.
1: Mm. Well, why can have two meanings, can't it? Because you can have the what for meaning or why as and because of, Mm. right? And I don't think there's much of a what for. I think it's much more of a because. I think uh, victimhood sells well people in our current society believe that being a victim gives you advantages because it does because it does if you say you know i'm an immigrant which i am uh therefore and you list a bunch of things that are difficult for you it's weaponized empathy we we live in a society where we believe that being a victim has some kind of moral value almost right and so i think we are we are training kids by incentives we're incentivizing victimhood and so people are becoming you know it's like these kids who who, you know who are like 0.001 percent native american stuff like why would you do that why are we now seeing increasingly people identify into groups that we're supposedly told that being discriminated against mm-hmm. people claiming to be things that they're not actually in order to find themselves in a position where they can say well i'm a victim too right so i don't think there's any grand plan behind it i just i believe human beings respond to incentives
0: and if you incentivize victimhood then you're going to get victims okay i'm with you on that but it mm-hmm. feels like this kind of thing is going to arise at certain times in history mm-hmm. so i started saying to basically anybody who would listen, this is probably 15 years ago, maybe more, that some people need to be chased by a lion. Mm -hmm. And it was me sort of grappling with this idea of people latching on to ideas that felt like there's nothing in your life crowding out, you seeking a fight, and because the fight for survival isn't your daily reality and things aren't hard, now all of a sudden you find yourself drifting towards um, things that don't yield the desired outcome because you're not in a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll back that off and say, because I'm in business and the business itself is constantly in a life or death situation, you just become so pragmatic. And you have to look at data and you have to look at what is working, what is not working. Mm-hmm. And so there's a quote from Thomas Sowell that I I have just become obsessed with, which is the last 30 years have been marked by exchanging what worked for what sounds good. Yes. And I'm just like, it, that makes sense. But it like, I I want those things to be true. Those things being like, some of the ideas of communism and stuff, they really sound awesome. Mm. But in reality like the numbers just don't bear it out. And so that idea I'm I wonder if the ideas of what the what divides the culture war of victim mentality, I wonder if those incentives became incentives because we actually have it so good. There's no longer a fight that's banging down your door and it almost becomes a a belief system that only people in luxury can have.
1: Yes, and. So I think there are two parts to it. I think yes, that, and, you know, as you were talking, the line that came to me is life is suffering. Is that Buddhist? Is that what the Buddhists
0: say? The Buddhists certainly say that suffering arises from desire. I don't know if they say flat out life is suffering, but it certainly sounds like something they might. Someone says life is suffering, yeah. Yeah. The idea is out there.
1: The idea is out there that life is suffering, and so if you don't have suffering, then… You're going to create it for yourself. And, you know, I, I don't have a great grand theory of this, but my own experience of life is that the very best things that I've experienced are as a result of overcoming adversity. Mm. It's the most fulfilling thing. And not least because when you overcome adversity, it gives you the most powerful feeling that you can have that I've ever experienced, which is the, the being in control of your life. It gives you the illusion, and it is just an illusion, of being in control of your life. And so I think when you don't have that adversity, you're likely to end up in a position where you look for it elsewhere. You look for things to overcome. So, yes, prosperity and comfort and safety and all these things that we enjoy in the modern West, I think, produce this. But also, you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about Thomas Sowell, who's just, I mean, he's a it's brilliant, he's legit. It, the the point that you make about substituting things that work for things that sound good is so apt to the current moment because of the internet and because of social media mm. because a lot of the communication about these issues is a product of a medium which rewards ideas that sound good and punishes ideas that sound bad if i say to you you know what are what are some of the, the things that are that sound good you know all things to all people, look after everybody, blah, 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 sounds good. What if I say to you, your life is your responsibility. It's up to you to make what you want out of your uh, opportunities and the difficulties that you experience. Mm. No one's coming to save you, no one, right? We both know this, no one's coming to save you, but it doesn't sound good, it sounds terrible. Um, And so if you have a system which amplifies ideas that sound good but don't work, that is how you end up in the position that we're ending up in. And increasingly, some of these ideas are beginning to clash with reality, you know? And, and that's really the big narrative collapse that I see coming is, at some point, these things will get so bad that reality will come and, and slap us in the face very, very hard. Mm.
0: That's my big fear. Yeah. So when I look at what's going on, when, when a society gets to the point that we're at where we're just hyper affluent, like even, Uh, you know, obviously there, there is a point where people don't have enough calories and okay, they have truly fallen off the ladder, but even for people that are in poverty and I have seen poverty up close, uh, we were talking before we started rolling. Um, I have gotten to know a lot of people that have grown up in the inner cities. And so I've been inside their homes and I big brothered for a kid, uh, in Compton and South central, he moved around for eight and a half years. So I really, really got to see it up close. Mm. They have refrigerators, they have air conditioning, they have homes, but the neighborhoods are deadly. And there, there is fundamental things about it that are completely broken, Mm. but there are so many luxuries that we take for granted. And so as I was, looking at that and I had a thousand employees that grew up in the inner cities. And I was like, wow, this isn't a money problem. This is a ideas problem. Mm-hmm. They have a mindset that is moving them backwards. But when I say that, I know how much that riles people up, but it goes back to what you said about, it doesn't sound good to say that you're in control, that nobody's coming to save you, but that's what works. Mm. And so if you take Kobe Bryant's advice, and he has it's rapidly becoming my favorite quote, which is that booze don't block dunks. And the idea that you can get so good at something that people can't stop you from succeeding. Mm -hmm. Now that puts you in a position to be aggressive in skill acquisition. Mm -hmm. If you get aggressive in skill acquisition and you meet minimum requirements, there is a certain amount of intelligence, which is why I love that there's a social safety net. And I believe Mm -hmm. in all that. And I think it's Mm -hmm. wonderful because there's some people that just aren't going to be able to Mm -hmm. compete in that sort of realm. But once you embrace, okay, wait a second, nobody's coming to save me, but I can get so good at something that matters. It could be being a school teacher. It doesn't have to be running a business or whatever, but I can get so good at that thing Mm -hmm. that I will always be able to make ends meet. I'll always be able to have a roof over my head, comfort, et cetera. But that when we're in this state where we have that sort of default level of comfort, Mm -hmm. that you get into a positive feedback loop where your ideas, because you're ability to eat is not hanging in the balance that you end up in a situation where your your ideas never get put to that life or death test. Mm. And so you can embrace ideas that aren't going to force you to move yourself forward. And when you're in that situation, there's nothing to unwind it. There's nothing to point out. This is a bad idea and it's not going to lead anywhere until it all collapses and the society breaks. And now people are, are, in the kind of pain and suffering that you need to be in to make radical change. And Ray Dalio really outlines this well with the six stages that any empire goes through. Mm-hmm. And the sixth stage is total collapse. It's usually war and that's the transition from five to six. And he puts us in halfway through phase five. And mm-hmm. for anybody or stage five, for anybody that doesn't know Ray Dalio, built the largest hedge fund in the world. This is a guy who's put his money where his mouth is, bet that his assessment of the global macroeconomic situation is accurate and one more than anyone else in history. And he's saying, hey boys and girls, you're at stage five and a half. Mm. And when when you look at that, do you see a way out of this? Do you see a way to get people to exchange what sounds good for what works?
1: I don't want to give you an answer that sounds good but doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> I don't know is the truth, Tom. All I know is what my mission is in this space. That's all. I, all. All I know is I've got to say what I'm saying. I've got to try and wake people up to make them aware. Is it futile? I genuinely don't know. I just know that those of us who are aware of this issue have a duty to say something and have a duty to try and bring people to that understanding. Because if we don't, and I keep making this point wherever I go, we don't operate in a vacuum. There are other people in other places who would also like to be prosperous, who would also like to be comfortable, mm. who would also like to be powerful. And they are teaching their children that their country is shit. They're not teaching their children that the history of their country is defined by the worst elements of it. They're teaching their children to be strong, confident, intelligent, well-educated to the extent that they can with the resources that they have. Um, whereas we are doing the opposite. We are using our tremendous resources to teach young people to hate their own country. And I, I'm i not as smart as, as the guy that you're talking about in terms of being able to plot out the, the course of civilization – I'm just saying, look, maybe this isn't a good recipe for for the success of our civilization and Mm. our society. And the reason I think that matters is that I have lived in places, many places, that are not the Western world, that do not operate by the same rules, that do not value the things that we value. And... Who's to say that, you know, some people would argue that, you know, well, you know, the Chinese have their own value system and the Russians have their own and they're all relative to each other and blah, 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 blah. Who knows who's right or wrong? I just know that for me and for people who, who, who are like me and who think like me, the preservation and survival and flourishing of the West is very, very important. Because the sort of things that we believe in, the sort of values that we have, they don't survive well. In those other cultures mm. they, they're not celebrated or encouraged or what are western values so i think there are several i mean one of them and the crucial one is the sanctity of the individual this is the most important thing that separates us from everybody else uh, or f- certainly from the, uh, many other major civilizations so if you look at for example what's happening in ukraine right now vladimir putin has absolutely no hesitation about sending hundreds of thousands of meant to die in ukraine for a small piece of land uh because the individual is not that valuable indeed in russian mythology you know not mythology as in you know gods but you know the myths that society tells itself about itself uh the sacrifice of the ordinary citizen for for the monarch for the leader is a noble and brilliant thing Mm. and the this kind of, you know, we lost 20, 000, 20 million people in World War Two, And yet people in Russia prior to this war and now, the, they would drive around Moscow with bumper stickers that said, we can do this again. Right? Because we defeated Jeez. Nazism. And the fact that it cost us 20 million lives due to incompetence and, and all sorts of other things that happened under Stalin uh, that made that war so bloody and brutal, that's fine. It's not a problem. We won and we can do it again. Right. Uh, The Chinese, again, the way their attitude to, you know, COVID happens, let's lock you in your home. It's fine. You know, I remember there was a, a, I don't know if you saw this, there was a clip of a drone flying around outside of one of these apartment blocks in Beijing somewhere, which said, you must suppress your something like unnatural desire for liberty or something like that. Right. Wow. Uh, I may be misquoting, but the the sense of it, the sense was the same. So the, the central thing of Western civilization is, to me at least, that I see, is the idea that you matter. You as an individual matter. Your rights matter. Your, you have uh, value in and of yourself by being a human being uh, in a way that other civilizations don't because they're much more collectivist in nature. And so sacrificing, you know, it's like if you, if you had to cut off a toe to save your whole body that's a good deal right and that's how a lot of other cultures think about individual human beings too we don't we generally don't we don't think about it in that way we we value the individual Um, and then on top of that with that comes a whole slew of other things uh, if the individual is valuable and is sacred in some way Uh, That means that that individual has a right to express their opinions. They have a right to pursue happiness. This is written Mm. into the American constitution. They, They have a bunch of things that they're entitled to do, to speak their mind, to research the things in science that they want to do. And in my view, you know, one of the reasons that we are successful in terms of science and technology is we have the culture that produces better science and technology because of those freedoms, right? And this is the point I've always tried to make to people in the West is like, the fact that we sit in this lap of luxury and technological sophistication and advancement and comfort um, is a product of our cultural values and our history. Uh, It's not all about colonialism. It's also about the fact that we had a certain way of looking at the world that was closer to creating the reality that we have than other ways of looking at the world, right? Uh, And it's the preservation of that way of looking at the world that I think is really important. And part of the problem with what's going on now, and one of the reasons that I oppose, you know, whatever you want to call it, progressivism or wokeness or whatever, is precisely because it is antithetical to those values. Um, You know, the idea, for example, that human beings should be treated on the content of their character, is not an idea that really exists anywhere in the in, in the world fundamentally, other than the West. Uh, you know, the idea in Russia, the idea that like a gay man is equal to a straight man is absurd. Would never occur to someone to think in that way. Gay people are minority. Look, we don't always have to beat them up, but but they're not. But they're not real men, right? That's a large part of how many people in that country would think. Um, you know, if you're a Uyghur in China, again, you know, no one cares about your rights. You go in a camp. And uh, what bothers me about <laughs> what we're doing in Western society is we're undoing this very novel and quite radical idea by human standards mm. that it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your sex is. We are going to try to treat each other on the basis of the fact that we're both individuals and connect with each other through our minds and through our hearts without looking at all the superficial meat suit shit that doesn't actually matter, right? That to me is valuable and I'm not prepared to be quiet when people try and throw out the window. It's really interesting.